This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 120. And the quote of the day is from Martin Luther King Jr., who said, If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and today is Thursday, and man, it is just, it's beautiful outside. Man, I went to the gym this morning, and it was uh, it was a little cool, but but now it's just awesome. So, But I'm stuck in here doing this podcast because I want to deliver this interview. Also, uh, where was I? Where was I? Coaching. So as many of you know, I've grown this podcast to be quite a successful podcast. I've also run different businesses and coached different businesses and consulted for different businesses and things like that and have coached clients to help them maximize what they're looking to do, whether they're struggling with breaking into the music scene or getting endorsements or getting touring work or increasing their revenue or whatever the case may be. Everybody needs a little help from time to time. And I have been doing coaching on a limited, on a really limited basis. So only a couple here and there because uh, it's, it's pretty time consuming, but I really love it. So what I'm doing is I'm opening a couple slots for coaching that I'm going to make available. It's a month by month thing. And the way that it works is we set up a quick call, a quick 20 minute free call and you call in and we discuss what's going on and see how I can help you see if I can help you and really get a sense if you're really dedicated to making some changes and really growing and increasing uh, your, your productivity and increasing your success and all of that. And if we're a good fit for each other, we see if it works, if, if my rates work for you and everything, and we go from there. So if you're interested in just having a quick 15, 20 minute exploratory Skype call with me, shoot me an email at coaching at drummersresource.com. And we'll get that scheduled up and we'll see if I can help you get to the next level. Now, the podcast I have today is sponsored by DW Drums. And as you know, I've been playing DW Drums for years. And not only do I love their drums and not only are they handcrafted, but DW also supports and fosters drumming initiatives all over the world like this podcast and a lot of other great things. So just Do me a favor, check them out at dwdrums.com, not only for their drums, but just for for what they're doing for the drumming community, especially Don Lombardi. He's really an ambassador for for drumming worldwide. So check them out, dwdrums.com. Now, the interview that I have today is Dre Baldwin, also known as Dre All Day. And Dre is a former professional basketball player turned motivational speaker turned international speaker, I should say. He's an author, he's a blogger, and he also runs a really successful YouTube channel teaching people different basketball drills and things like that. And he and I connected because I actually play with his father. His father's a really good piano player, and I play with his father once in a while, and he said, you should connect with my son. He sort of does the same thing that you do, but with basketball. And once we started talking, I realized there's so many similarities between being a professional musician or being a musician and being a professional athlete or being a amateur athlete. And so we got to talk and I said, man, I got to get you on the podcast and just have you 
talk about this stuff so that the listeners can hear what you have to say because he has a ton of information and really will make you reevaluate what you're doing. His whole mantra is work on your game, and we're going to get into all of that with Dre. So I'm going to stop talking because I want to get into this interview because it's really a great one. So here we go, Dre Baldwin. Dre, what's going on, my man? How you doing today? What's going on, Nick? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm glad we could finally do this. For uh, for the for the listeners who don't know, uh, Dre's father and I play together. His dad is a very very talented keyboard player and singer, and uh, and so I play with him once in a while. I get to I get to kick it with him, and he connected you and I, and right. I know that you and I have. Uh, some similar ideals when it comes to success. We're going to, we're going to talk about all that stuff, but first I want to get a little bit of background because I want the listeners to get to know you a little bit. So just tell them a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, my name is Dre Baldwin. I come from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Right now I live in South Florida. been here for the last eight years. My background is as a professional athlete. I play basketball overseas for nine years through eight different countries. Uh, once I started to get out of basketball, I started to look to what I would do next. So I have my own marketing and branding business. I'm a professional speaker. I have a publishing company. I've written five books. I've written over 100 training programs for basketball players. I work with a lot of companies as far as anywhere from legal professionals to bloggers to business owners on how to market and brand their businesses better. I work as a trainer from here and there, time to time, and also work as an advisor to some startups as far as their marketing and building up their brand presence on the internet. So I always got my hand in five to ten different things any given time. <laughs> You're like me, man. I, I like it. Somebody's like, hey, man, can you do this? And I say, yeah, yeah I can do that. Let me, uh, let me just add it to the list of things that I'm doing already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So, so let's talk about your, your pro career for a minute. And Sort of walk us down that road of, of one, when you made the decision that I'm going to really try to do this professionally and, and how far that road got you. Because I'd love to hear the principles behind how all of that happened because there's no difference between being a professional athlete and being a, a professional musician. So I'd, I'd love to hear this story. When I was about a junior in high school, I made the decision that it wasn't even really a decision. It was an idea that I knew I could probably make it, I could try to make it as a professional athlete. I knew that's the number one thing that I wanted to do. The challenge was, Nick, that I had no idea how I was going to do it, where I would do it, when I would do it, who would help me, what steps I needed to take. I didn't know anything. I just knew I wanted to play basketball professionally. I didn't know who I could talk to. I didn't know if there was anyone else who had done it. I didn't know anyone else who had done it at that point. You know, my dad is like, I'm 6'4". My dad's like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, oh, right. so he couldn't teach me basketball. I don't have any brothers, no one I knew in my neighborhood. There were basketball players, but no one who was professional, at least who was around, mm-hmm. who could take me under their wing. So once I got into college, you know, I knew one of my main motivating factors for going to college is because I knew I needed those four years of grooming to actually develop the skill level to be able to play professional basketball. Because it's one thing to say you want to do it. It's another thing to actually have the ability to perform at that level. I want to interject real quick and I'm, and I apologize for interrupting you, but how did, let me, I'm trying to phrase this the right way, but how did you develop that ideal at that young of an age to say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I need some help. I need, because most people at that age say I can do everything by myself. Well, me, I knew that I didn't have the ability. I mean, 
Mm-hmm. Honestly, I knew I had to be honest with myself. It's one thing where you tell other people that you think you can do this, that, and the third. It's another thing when you're looking in the mirror, you got to be able to tell yourself the truth. Right. And coming out of high school, I had barely played that much in high school. I didn't even have that much real-life success in basketball. There was nobody in the world who would have looked at me and said, okay, this guy's going to be a professional basketball player. Not even my mom and dad okay. would have said that at that point. I didn't have the success. I got so it. I just had the idea that I could do it. So I knew college. One thing I wanted to go to college for, of course, education was part of it. This was I graduated from high school in the year 2000. So this was kind of at the tail end of the go to college, get a degree, get a job era where everybody thought that was the only way to go to be successful. Mm -hmm. So I went I wanted to go to college. One was education. Two was the social factor just so I could develop more as a person. And the third one was basketball. I knew I needed that four years of grooming. So coming out of college, once I graduated from college, I had an unremarkable college basketball career. I worked for a year out of school. I was a manager of Foot Locker. I sold gym memberships at Bally Total Fitness for a year. That next year, 2005, this was summer of 05, I went to a professional exposure camp, which for those who don't know, that's similar to a job fair. Mm-hmm. So, But instead of putting on a suit and tie and handing out your resume, you put on shorts and sneakers and you play basketball against other players who want to play pro. So I played at that exposure camp. I did pretty well there, and I got a video of my performance. And that video was my resume. And at this point, that video was on a VHS tape. And, Nick, I'm sure you remember VHS tapes. I don't know if everybody (laughs) does. So that video was on a VHS tape, and I knew that that tape wasn't going to last for the next 20 years. Right. I knew I needed to put that into a format that I could keep track of for for the foreseeable future. So I took that video, took it to an audiovisual store, got to put on a CD, CD, got that, put them into my computer. That kind of turned into a digital file, put it on a brand new video website called YouTube.com. And on YouTube, this is 2006-ish that I put that video out. I just put it up there for myself, just for safekeeping. So when I'm contacting sports agents, basketball agents, instead of having to mail them a VHS tape, which I spent a lot of money on doing, now I can send them an email with a link to a video. So it was the exact same content, just an easier way to transfer it around. Right. About a month later, Nick, I went back to YouTube and looked at the video just to look at it for myself. And there were comments on the video. People had found this video somehow and they were liking the stuff that I was doing. They were saying, hey, who do you play for? Where do you come from? Mm-hmm. Who taught you? Can you do drills on teaching me how to play basketball? So really, I, on YouTube, I just started going off the energy of the fans making more videos on that. That's kind of how the YouTube thing built. But in that process in 2005, almost 10 years ago to the date, is when I actually got my first professional contract that was over in Lithuania. And from there, I played in eight different countries over a nine-year span. Hmm. And you have no doubt that, that it was because of YouTube. No, it wasn't necessarily because of YouTube. Not subtracting from your talent. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the the exposure. I wasn't saying just because. I didn't mean it like that. I meant the exposure was was from YouTube. I got exposure. The exposure from YouTube, Nick. I would say later on helped my career. But as far okay. as the first the first contract, no, it wasn't YouTube because YouTube. Most people didn't even know what YouTube was at that point. Right. I got the first one just because I was actually the first one I was sending out VHS tapes. Mm-hmm. Now, every contract I signed after that, I was sending emails with links. But before that, it was a VHS tape that I had to actually put in the mail and go to the post office right, right. and pay for the postage. Right. Yeah. So now 
inside of the drumming community, a thing that is huge right now is, I mean, YouTube's huge, but for drummers, it's really, really big. And one of the things is that people do drum covers, so they're playing other playing their drums over top of other people's songs. But people are teaching lessons and doing all that stuff. But it's a really, I mean, there's a lot of people who have made notable careers from YouTube and branched off into other things. So what advice would you have for drummers out there who want to start a YouTube channel and really gain a following? Uh, Same way that I don't know the drumming business at all. I probably know less than 0% about the drumming business, but I would say put your content out there the same way I would tell a vocalist. If someone's a singer, get your microphone, get in front of the camera and sing your songs, do your cover songs, Put them out there. If you can record 10 songs in one day, put them out there once a day. In a month, you have a year's worth of content pretty much. Mm -hmm. And keep putting that content out every day. If you actually have skill and you're good at what you do, people who are interested in what you do are going to find your content. They're going to like it. They're going to comment to you, let you know what they think, ask you to do something else, which will give you more ideas. They're going to share your content so other people know about it. You get that same stuff out there on your, let's say you can get on your Instagram, you can get on your Facebook, sharing your stuff on Facebook, writing a little bit about your background, writing about your motivation, write about your inspirations for getting into what it is you're into. Because people who follow you and they see that you have skill, they want to know not only that you're good at it, but who is this person behind it? Like, What type of person do I have to become in order to be as good as this guy is at what he does? And Mm -hmm. people... People really wanted that from me basketball-wise, and people want the same thing from their favorite artists. For example, if I met my favorite rapper, I'm not going to ask them to say a rap. I'm going to ask them, like, what kind of person did you have to become in order to put out this type of content? What did you have to go through in order to have the mentality that led you to recording this album that I love so much? What type of person are you? Mm -hmm. So people want to know that stuff. So when you share it, once people see you had the skill, next thing they want to know is who are you? Right. So you had to be open enough to share more about yourself. And then, of course, you can leverage that into having a podcast, having a website, having a blog, and just sharing more about yourself in different formats because different people take in content different ways. Some people only use Facebook, only YouTube, only Twitter, only Instagram. So make sure that you touch every platform so that you're touching all the people. Mm-hmm. And to summarize that that whole concept, I'm, I'm guessing that you're saying you need to humanize your quote-unquote brand. Absolutely. Exactly. People want to know who is this person behind the ability, mm-hmm. not just that you're good. They want to know that you're good. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Make sure you always remind them that. But what they want to know, who is the person behind it that's putting this content out? Right. And, you know, if you think about the companies from years ago, like a Sony or something like that, they were sort of this faceless company mm-hmm. that that there's not a lot of there's not a lot of emotional connection to it. But if you look at something like Apple, and you look at, you know, Steve Jobs was the was the front man for it and sort of created a lifestyle around around I everything Apple, I should say, and mm-hmm. especially the iPhone, but but Apple in general. And I think that's why Apple's been so much more successful than any other real technology company out there. I agree. And even somebody like Steve Jobs, he people started to recognize Steve Jobs a little bit later. But Apple kind of built their brand. They personalized the brand of Apple. People did, People weren't buying into Steve Jobs. They were buying into Apple as an idea. Mm-hmm. People bought into it because Apple kind of humanized their brand and said, this is what we stand for. We, are, we think different. 
which right. was their the thing yeah. that they they don't even say that anymore, but that was what they used to say back then. So people connected to the brand. So it is possible to do it with a brand and not just only being an individual person. Mm-hmm. That thing and that think different campaign was huge. It was right. massive. That was I mean that was in the I think late eighties, early nineties. Right. Yeah. When they had the color in the Apple logo, now it's just yep. plain white. Yep. Exactly. It's funny. I had a conversation with with somebody. This was probably a year or two ago, and I was talking. I love cars, and I want a Ferrari. So I'm talking to this girl, and I said, "I was like, yeah, you know, it's like I would really love to buy a Ferrari one day." And she kind of scoffed at me and and said, "Why would you? Why would you want to buy a Ferrari? Like, it's not all about material things, and it's not all about money." I said, "Do you understand that?" The Ferrari has nothing to do with the material aspect of it. I said the person that I would need to become, right? To the the amount of people that I could that I would have to influence and have an effect on to be able to buy a Ferrari. I said that's what I'm interested in. I said I probably exactly. wouldn't even buy the Ferrari. <laughs> you know, I'm like exactly. I just I just want to be be become that person. I want to I want to achieve that level of success. Exactly. If you pull up to the front entrance of a hotel and a Ferrari, everybody knows what the car is. They're going to be looking at the car, but they're going to say, well, who is this person who's driving this car? What does this person do? Right. How did, how, how did this person become the type of person that drives that type of car? That's what they're going to want to know. Right. And I've always said the only reason I'd ever want to be rich and famous is because of the positive impact that you could have. And the richer you are and the more famous you are, the more good you can do with, with that quote-unquote power. Exactly. And, when, and once it becomes publicly noted, everybody's going to want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And then you have a platform to share who it is you became, because that's what people are going to want to know. They already know what you got. Right. They want to know who it is you became to in order to get that. Exactly. So speaking of becoming a different person, so you've you've transitioned. You you went from playing professional basketball and now mm-hmm. seemingly have transitioned now into a branding expert, a public speaker, and you're concentrating more on your on the business side of things. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about that transition and why you went into that area. Well, the number one thing, Nick, is that professional athletes have a shelf life. That's mm-hmm. one thing. If you are in the music business, music musicians have a much longer shelf life than an athlete. A basketball player, let's say you get out of college around age 20 to 22, sometime in that frame, you pretty much have a 10 to 15-year window for the most part to play your sport. Mm-hmm. And there are some guys who last till 38, 39, 40. Those are a very, very, very small percentage of guys. You could pretty much name all of them. Sure. Most of the other guys, they're out by the age of 30 or 35. Mm-hmm. So I knew that even back when I was getting out of college, I'm not going to play basketball for the rest of my life. Whenever I'm done playing basketball, I still got another 50% or more of my life to live. What is it that I'm going to do? And it's not necessarily about money, because even if someone has a whole lot of money, if they retire and they don't have anything to do, usually within two years, those people die, because they don't have anything to do. Right. What's the complete opposite of, of happiness is boredom. Exactly. Exactly. Human beings need something to do. They need a reason to get up in the morning. So me, once I saw that I was closer to the end of my career than the beginning, I started thinking, what's my exit strategy? What am I going to do next? And once I started looking at all the things I was doing, I said, you know what? I actually have built a brand here. 
a personal brand because back in 2005, nobody was using the term personal brand. That didn't exist. Right. Right. Nobody was even saying that. Mm-hmm. But by 2000, let's say 12, 13, 14, everybody was talking about personal brand. You need to build your personal brand. Even if you work in a Fortune 500 company as an employee, you have a personal brand. Mm-hmm. So when I looked at what I was doing, I said, you know what? I have a brand. I have a brand. I marketed myself. I kind of built a brand outside of myself personally on top of that where I say, you know, work on your game, the Dre All Day brand, all of those I had built. Why don't I work with people and teach them how I was able to do this? Because when I would talk to people and I would say, you know, I play basketball, but I'm also on YouTube. People would say, you play basketball, that's great. But then when I say, you know, I'm on YouTube and I blog, a lot of times people's eyes will light up. Because when you say you play basketball, most people listen to that and they say, okay, that's great that you play basketball, but I can't play basketball. Right. But when I say I blog and I'm on YouTube, they're like, oh, well, that's something that I could possibly do. And they mm-hmm. want to know more about that. How do you, how'd you get started on YouTube? What do you blog about? How did you set up a website? A lot of, a lot of people just don't know the basics of a lot of this stuff. So they would ask me, how did you do that? How do you set that up? What can I write about? What can I talk about? And I realized that there was a, a void that I could fill in the marketplace by teaching people how to do that, not only to do it, but to reach that next generation audience. Because a huge portion of my audience is that 13 to 24 demographic. Right. And a lot of people who, are, who have been in traditional businesses have no idea how to reach them. Mm-hmm. And you can see with the content they put out is so out of touch. Oh, it's, I, it's, I, it's, bad. it's so bad. Right. And I help them to reach that right audience the right way. I got Speak you. their language, so to speak. Now, you had mentioned work on your game, which is your moniker. And I'm, I'm guessing that it's, it's not just for basketball. So let's talk about work on, the green, work on your game and what that means to you. Absolutely. Work on your game is definitely not a basketball only thing. Now, of course, it started from basketball because – this was in 2000, late 2008, early 2009. I was getting a lot of questions on my videos of people just asking me, hey, Dre, can you give me some advice on how to get better? Can you give me some tips on how to work on my ball handling? Can you give me some advice on how to make the basketball team? And one day I was making a video, and I was just talking in the video, just explaining to players, like, you guys keep asking me for tips and advice. Well, the problem is all of you are on YouTube watching me in these videos when what you really need to be doing is getting off the internet, turn off your Xbox, turn off the TV and go work on your game. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even trying to, I wasn't even trying to make a catchphrase out of it. I was really just talking, but a lot of people who heard the video, they said, Oh, work on your game. I like that phrase that you said. I really like that. So I just took it and ran with it. I started using it more often and it kind of turned into its own brand just from me saying that. Sure. What work on your brand is about, is about discipline. It's about having the discipline to, Work on the skills, whatever line of work that you're in. You have to have the skills. It's one thing to have the ideas, another thing to have the belief. Maybe you even have the strategy of how to do it. But if you don't have the actual skills to deliver, none of that's going to matter. So working mm-hmm. your game is about making sure that you have the skills to deliver when you get your opportunity. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I think one of the biggest downfalls that people have is that they say, oh, man, I've read all the 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 books that I, everybody told me to read, or I watched all the YouTube videos, or, you know, I, I went to all the seminars and then you say, well, what, what part of it did you put into action? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't, I didn't really put any of that into action. And without working on your game to use your, your terminology, without working on your practice regiment, without working on your, your rudiments, without working on your, your communication skills or whatever, 
whatever you need to be working on to step up your your quote unquote game, that's what you need to be doing. And if you're not, you're going to be falling behind everybody. Absolutely, especially in sports. Sure, if you're not working on your skills; it'll quickly show. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's that's a blanket statement for life. I mean, if you're not if you're not working on your marriage, it's not going to work. <laughs> exactly. You know. Um, exactly. So, the, as I mentioned, the game or the uh, the the action part of getting things done. What is your what's your advice for taking action of of people are like, man, I don't have time to, to work to quote unquote work on my game, or I just, I, I need the motivation or I don't know what to work on. What's your advice for that? Well, the first thing is people have to decide where they want to end up because one thing, one person I like to listen to is Tony Robbins. And one thing mm-hmm. that Tony Robbins says is if anybody who starts their day by looking at all the things they have to do, is never going to be motivated to do them all. That's how you get overwhelmed because you're looking at a to-do list. I got to do this, this, and this, or you're looking at a plan. Let's say you got a five-year plan. I want to get to this point, and I got to do all these 150 things in order to make this five-year plan come to fruition. Mm-hmm. You'll never get it done. You'll be overwhelmed, and you won't get to work. The first thing you have to ask yourself is, what is the purpose? What's the purpose for me doing this? Why do I want this? Because once you have a strong enough purpose – you'll be able to get through all the house. You'll be able to get through all the activities that you need to take. So as far as the, the question that you asked me was, what, what was the question again? That- Asking how, how to sort of get your butt in gear and get yourself motivated to, to start achieving these things day by day. Because I know, you know, it's hard. You get up every day and it's like, man, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to work on. So I'm right. just going to not take any action. Paralysis by analysis. Right. So, okay. So like I was saying, you first of all want to figure out what is it that you want? What's your purpose? Because when you have a strong enough purpose, you don't have to be motivated. You'll be inspired. And there's a difference between inspiration and motivation. Mm -hmm. Motivation is something that comes from outside. So if I get up in front of the basketball team in a locker room and give a fiery speech, I can motivate the whole team. But if I give you something, if I talk with you and let you figure out for yourself why you're doing the things that you're doing, what you actually want to achieve in life, and why you want to achieve it, now you'll be inspired. Inspiration comes from within. Mm-hmm. It's an easy way to remember it. Motivation comes from without. That's something That comes from outside, rather, not without, but from the outside. So the first thing you have to figure out is your purpose. And once you know what your purpose is, it'll be easy to take the actions. You won't even have to think about a to-do list because you're going to be chasing after that purpose mm-hmm. at all times. I totally agree. So let's walk walk through a typical day for you. Okay, typical day for me, I'm usually up at about anywhere between 4 and 4.15 a.m. I like to start my day with some meditation, but not the traditional meditation where you sit in a quiet room and close your eyes. Because if I did that at 4.15 in the morning, I'd probably fall back asleep. Yeah, me too. So I, <laughs> I like to, I use like a meditation app where it kind of plays like the calm, soothing sounds. What's the name but of the I, app? I use, it's called Calm, C-A-L-M. That's same exact one I use. Yeah, I use the Calm app, and I like the Calm app because it keeps track of how many days in a row you actually did it. Yep. So I like to keep my streak going. So I do, I use that app, and I actually review a list of like a, uh, I guess, affirmations or auto-suggestions that I keep written down. Mm-hmm. I keep different lists of them. I keep uh folder of photos things that inspire me photos that inspire me i always change them Mm -hmm. i keep maybe quotes that i've heard other people say 
ideas that I've thought of to myself. So I review different things every single day, usually anywhere from five to 20 minutes every single day, depending on how much time that I have. Mm-hmm. Once I'm done with that, first thing I do in the morning is workout. So I go to the gym or I may go outside to run. I eat, I take probably two bananas before I work out, mm-hmm. nothing else. Go to Man, the I didn't even know you worked out. If you looked at you, you wouldn't be able to tell you. <laughs> Just for the yeah. listeners out there, the, the, like you look like a pro athlete. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, good I for go, you, man. <laughs> I go work out. Uh, usually, I'll either be on a basketball court or in a weight room or mm-hmm. doing some type of cardio. Maybe a combination of all three. Done with that. Come home. That's when I eat breakfast. After at that point, I get on the computer. Maybe check a few emails. Maybe I'll post something online, like maybe on Instagram or Facebook or even a blog post on LinkedIn. Usually I like to take a nap early morning. So I usually take a nap probably somewhere between 10 and 12 p.m. And depending on how many hours I slept the previous night, two to maybe one to three hour nap. Once I'm up from my nap, I'm basically looking at what I, whatever I had to do that day, whether it's some emails I need to send out, phone calls I need to get on, an interview that I'm doing, a client that I need to meet with, somewhere that I actually need to physically be. And then I just go through the day just based on whatever is set up for that day. So pretty much I know what my day is the day before. So I have it all written out. What are my objectives for that day? And at the end of the day, I like to do a list. I think I got this from Jack Canfield, the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul books. Mm -hmm. He talks about every day writing down a list of three things you accomplished that day. And it doesn't have to be any great, huge accomplishment. It could just be three great things. Like, let's say you woke up at when the alarm went off and you went to the gym and worked out. That could be an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Or you met a new person at Starbucks. That could be an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Or you you ate right all day and you resisted the urge to buy a candy bar and a bag of chips at the checkout counter at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. That could be an accomplishment. So you write down, you recognize and identify, you're paying attention to, three things you did well that day. And that just kind of starts to build an emotional muscle of recognizing positives. Mm-hmm. So I do that every single day. And over the course of a year, that's a thousand positive things that you noticed that you did that day. So it's basically congratulating yourself. Right, right. So I do that every day. And I'm usually in bed somewhere between 10 and 11.30 p.m. Nice. Coincidentally, you and I pretty much have the same exact day. All right, so I'm going to call you at 4.30 tomorrow. Well, I was going to say, I don't get up at 4.30. I get up at 5.15. All right. But, um, but I get up, I use the, I use the Calm app, and, and I meditate, and I have a thing called the five-minute journal that I write. Uh, you know, I write three things that I'm grateful for. I write what I want, what would make the, the day great, a daily affirmation, and then I'll, at night I do three amazing things that happened and what I could have done better. And then uh, – go through same thing affirmations i look at pictures to to inspire me i'm reading a book right now called the greatest salesman in the world and then i sort of plan my day go to the gym and uh, what's that Ogmandino. yeah did you read it yes i did yeah i just finished day i just finished the first scroll or the first 30 days of the first scroll okay so i'm gonna do i'm gonna try to do it for the whole year yeah i like that book so for the listeners that are wondering what it is, it's a book by Ogmandino. It's called The Greatest Salesman in the World, and there's 10 scrolls in it, and you read the scrolls. You read the first scroll three times a day for 30 days, and then you move on to the second and then the third. And so I'm going to try to do I'm going to try to do 10 months of reading it every day. So we'll see what happens. I just okay. I just finished the 30th, so. Um so 
Now, and, and how important do you think it is to have these have these routines? Because I heard a, a staggering comment the other day on a podcast, and I don't remember whose podcast it was, but I'll look it up and put it in the show notes, that he was saying that, I think it was Tim Ferriss was saying every single person that he's ever interviewed for his podcast or for his book or anything like that had some sort of meditative mindfulness practice every day. I think it might have been Tim Ferriss. I'm a fan of Tim, so I, I listen to his stuff also. Okay. And yes, I think that's very important to have routines because the thing is the human brain gets fatigued the same way your legs and your arms get fatigued. Mm -hmm. So every time you force your mind to make a decision about something, you're using a certain amount of energy. So when you have, so let's say you woke up tomorrow, Nick, and you didn't have any type of routines for anything. So that means every single thing you do, you have to think about it and make a decision on what to do next. Mm -hmm. That means you're, you are taxing your brain. You're asking your brain to do a lot. So by four or five o'clock that day, you're completely out of mental energy. So you're going to make worse decisions later on in the day. And that's how people at eight, nine o'clock eat a pint of ice cream or buy a candy bar or eat Snickers for dinner. Because they're out of mental stamina. Right. So when you have routines for things, every time you have a routine for something is a mindless task. So when you wake up in the morning, you don't have to think about what's the first thing I'm going to do, what am I going to do next, what am I going to do next. You already have a routine. So when I wake up in the morning, I already know. All right, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to use the Calm app. I know I'm going to eat two bananas. I don't have to think about what to eat. I know I'm going to the gym. I know where it is. I know exactly how much time I'm going to spend in the gym. I already know exactly what I'm going to work on in the gym. When I get back, I know what I'm eating for breakfast because I got my meals already ready. Right. I know what time I'm going to take a nap. I know exactly how long the nap's going to be. I already planned out my next day the previous night. So I already know what I need to do as soon as I get up from my nap because I already have it written down. Mm -hmm. I already have my anything I have scheduled, like this call, I already had it scheduled in. I, had, I didn't have to think about, hey, am I going to do this or am I not going to do it? I already had it scheduled in. Right. So every single thing that I can make into a routine, I do. I try to make routines for as many things as possible because that saves me my mental energy, my mental stamina, so that when I get on something that's new, like this podcast, I have the mental energy to come up with a creative answer to a question where I'm not mentally fatigued to the point where I can't really be sharp, a sharp right. thinker. Mm -hmm. So you get to save your mental energy for the things that matter most when you can make routines out of the things you do all the time. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about a musician, it's when you're playing with other musicians and you can play creatively. If you're a, if you're a athlete, then you can, you can make the right decisions on the field. It's funny that you say that about, about not taxing your brain and getting into these routines because I've been doing uh, I've been doing this morning and, and night ritual now for a couple months, uh, hardcore. I've been doing it, for, you know, I'm not missing a day. And one day we got home. I was so exhausted. I couldn't even keep my eyes open. And I walked into my office and I sat down and I started writing in, in the book. And I was like, wow, I never even thought to not come in here. Mm -hmm. I never even was like, uh, should I go in there? I just came in and just started writing and sort of, as I was doing it, I realized, wow, this was a totally unconscious thing that I just did. I just automatically walked in here and started writing in this journal and, you know, to keep uh, to keep up with the with the streak, like you said. But it's amazing how I never even I didn't have to think about it. It just automatically happened. 
Right. It becomes unconscious behavior. Just like you said, you don't even have to think about it. Your, un- your subconscious mind directs you to do it without you even knowing that you did it. It's kind of like when somebody drives to work every day. You don't even right. have to think about where you're going. You get to work and you're like, I don't even remember driving there. Right. So it's the same thing. Everybody already does it. It's mm-hmm. just the more things you can apply it to, the less tax you'll be putting on your brain, you'll be able to save that energy to do other things. Mm-hmm. Or And you can either have have it go in a positive direction and have good habits or you can have bad habits and they exactly. work the same way. So you're like, oh, I didn't realize that I drank four beers when I got home from work, you know, or whatever the case may be. Exactly. So yeah. I have a question for you. What is your answer to, they say, you know, Dre, that's great. You work for yourself so you can stay home and, and you can plan out your day like that, man. But I got two kids. I got a nine to five job that I really want to get out of and I want to concentrate more on my playing. But like, I can't, I can't plan out my day like that because I have to go to a job. Well, all you had to do is fit, fit it into the cracks of your schedule. When I was working, I was working at a gym in Philadelphia in 2006, 2007. And at that time, I was trying to get back into professional basketball because I had played a couple places. Then I didn't get a deal playing ball. I didn't really have any money, so I had to get a job. So I got a nine-to-five job. I'm working at a gym, so it's great that I get to work out, right? But that location that I worked out at didn't even, that I worked at didn't even have a basketball court. They had mm. a different location that did have a basketball court. And since I was an employee of the company, I had a free membership, free access. Right. So I had to drive to this other location to work out which all sounds pretty simple until you realize that the two gyms are in opposite directions from where I was living at the time. So I would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning, drive to the gym that had a basketball court, bring my work clothes with me, take a shower at that gym, and drive back past my house to my job, work from 8 to 5 or whatever it was, get off work, and then I would drive to a different gym to go play in basketball leagues at night. That's what I had to do because I'm a basketball player. I was doing what I had to do from 9 to 5 to eat and pay my bills, keep my cell phone turned on, and keep the lights on at my house. But at the same time, if I want to be a basketball player, I got to do what a basketball player does, which is work on my game, make sure I stay sharp, develop those skills. So I fit it into my schedule. And if you look at anybody's normal work life, it's 24 hours in a day for all of us, we know. Eight hours for sleep. The universe demands that, so nobody can negotiate that. Mm-hmm. You got eight hours for work to make a living, and then you got eight hours to do whatever you want to do with it. Right. You have eight hours to do something with. And in those eight hours, that's where you choose what you're going to do. Now, if you have kids, of course, you got to put some time to your kids. And when the kids go to bed, you might have an hour or two. Mm-hmm. Those are the two hours you put towards building your future, towards right. building your dream, building your brand. So whatever it is that you have, you make time. You don't find time. We all got 24 hours. Nobody's going to lose an hour or gain an hour, no matter what you do. Right. You had to make time in your schedule for what it is that you want. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always said, well, not always, but recently I was like, oh, I don't have time to work out. And now um, I go to the gym five days a week and I made the time to do it because it was important to me. Even when, I mean, there was a, a couple of years ago that I was working 120 hours a week. I had three businesses that I was running. One was in Pennsylvania. One was in New York. And I was just started dating a girl. Well, she's my wife now, but at the time, you know, we, we were dating. So I was trying to juggle all of this stuff, but I made it happen because that was the, the stuff that, that was important to me. And I started drummer's resource at the same time. So 
I, I definitely, not to toot my own horn, but I guess what I'm saying is that I, I definitely agree with you that if you want to make time to do something, you can. And it may mean a couple less hours of TV, you know, a night, or it may mean going to going and hanging out at the bar a few less times with your friends. But if that's not, I mean, if that's important to you, then you'll make those sacrifices. Exactly. And one thing that I've read, I don't know if it was Jack Canfield or Napoleon Hill's book, uh, The Law of Success, that he said, if someone really thinks they don't have any time, because there are people who, even if they hear what we just said, they'll say, you know what, it makes sense, but I still don't have any time. I don't have any time. Right. All you had to do for a 72-hour period is log every single thing you do for the entire day. Yep. Log every minute that you spend. That means if you have a five-minute conversation with someone at the gas station, write it down. If you spend 30 minutes eating lunch, write it down. If you spend an hour watching the news, write it down. Write down every single minute that you allocate every single day, and then you can really look at where all your time is going. It's mm-hmm. actually a, it's an exercise that a lot of dietitians and trainers do with their clients who are having trouble losing weight. Right. They do it with food. So write down every single thing that goes into your mouth for a whole day every single thing you eat and drink and then we're going to look at it and then we'll see where your real problem is because yep. it might it's not in the gym it's actually in the kitchen so it's the exact same thing that people can do with their time you log every single minute you spend of a day and you'll see how much time you're actually wasting and they found that people are really only productive for about 20 to 30 percent of their day on average yep. the other 70 percent is wasted doing bs mm-hmm and not to, I, I actually just got interviewed uh, the other day for a podcast and I, something my, one of my professors had us do that exercise in college because I, I didn't have time. I felt like I didn't have time to practice and then went through that and it really changed my life and not to, not to beat a dead horse, but my family owns a restaurant and years ago I was bartending and the, the guy, guy came in, he owns a gym. So there's another guy sitting across the street, across the bar, and he said, "Hey man, what's going on with the uh, with the gym? You got any you know any specials going on or anything?" And he said, "Oh, come over. I'll take care of you. I'll give you a membership. You know, I know you and whatever." He goes, "Yeah, I got to get started soon." He's like, "I just you know I just really don't have the time to work out." And he said, "Well, what are you doing right now?" <laughs> right. You know exactly. the whole the whole bar starts laughing, but it's like if you you know <laughs> you have time if you if you want to make the time to do it. So. There's a, uh, are you familiar with Darren Hardy from Success Magazine? Absolutely. I just read his book, or not just, but earlier this year I read uh, The Compound Effect. Okay. So in his other book, Entrepreneurial Roller Coaster, he has a, he had a stopwatch when he was a, he was a salesman. Okay. And he stopwatched his whole entire day because he was working like 14, 16 hours a day. And he was like, man, I want to, you know. I want to streamline my processes and I want to see how much actual work I'm doing prospecting and and talking to customers and all that stuff. So after a 16 hour day, Mm -hmm. he said he didn't look at the stopwatch all day and he turned it over and was expecting to see like 10 hours or something like that. And it was 19 minutes of actual work of actual work that he did in like a 14 hour day or something like that. Exactly. So I went and bought a stopwatch and I've been tracking how much actual work, I'm doing every single day. Now, so, did you surprise yourself with the results? Yeah, it was horrible. I'm not even going <laughs> to, we're not even going to talk about it. I won't ask. Yeah. I mean, it was like within the hour or like hour, hour and 20, hour and a half. Yeah, so, exactly. So it's, it's scary. And I like, I feel like I'm pretty productive too, but so exactly. So working on my productivity. Like, uh, 
I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, so I'm definitely working on my productivity, and that's the, the biggest downfall for, for people not succeeding, I think, is just not being productive and wasting so much time. Exactly. It kind of goes back to that. The cliche is actually not true, but the cliche where people say humans only use 10% of their brain power. Right. It's like a lot of, we're leaving a lot on the table of what we could actually be getting accomplished. If we really looked at it and examined it, most people don't examine it. They just say, uh, I don't have time. Mm-hmm. Don't even know how much they're wasting. Yep. I totally agree, man. And once you start to realize how productive life can be when you're really focused, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's scary, actually. It gets, I agree. It's frightening, man. I agree. So listen, man, speaking of being productive, I don't want to, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I want to respect your time because I know you're a busy man, but I got to know what are three books that you suggest that, that everybody checks out? Are you going to limit me to three? However, okay. I'll, I'll tell you what, however many you want. All right. Well, right now I'll tell you what I'm reading right now. I know that, uh, I forget who said it, but there was someone who I look up to who said, any leader that you know, if you walk up to them and say, what are you reading right now? They'll always have an answer. Mm-hmm. So what I'm reading right now is The Success Principles by Jack Canfield, same author of the Chicken Soup books. Uh, one other, another I would give you is The Law of Success by Napoleon Hill. Another is Mastery by Robert Greene, especially for those in the field of music or sports, Mastery, to learn your craft. Next is 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. He is my favorite author. Another is The 50th Law by Robert Greene and 50 Cent. Another would be Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. And I'll give you one last one. It is Relentless by Tim Grover. He was Michael Jordan's personal trainer during his basketball career. Hmm. Now Kobe Bryant's trainer. Man, I watched the Kobe Bryant's Muse uh, documentary. Yeah, it was great. Absolutely amazing. I have so much more respect. I've always respected him uh, because, you know, mm-hmm. he's from our area and, and all that. But just the work ethic, man, just that's why he's one of the greatest of all time. You could- yeah, that's what I think draws a lot of people too, Kobe, just the work ethic. Even if you don't play basketball, you right. can relate to that work ethic. Same it's thing with insane. Michael Jordan. Yep. That's actually, I have this thing called the drum breakfast club where we get together every morning and practice. And that was inspired by the Michael Jordan breakfast club. Yeah, exactly. Him, Scotty Pippen and uh, Ron Harper. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's awesome. So where can people go if they want to learn more information about you? Well, people want to learn about me. Uh, my main homepage website is dreallday.com. For any of you who are on LinkedIn, you can connect with me at Dre Baldwin. My, as far as social media on YouTube, you can just search my name again, Dre Baldwin. I have over 4,000 videos on YouTube. A lot of it is basketball centric, but I do have a weekly motivation series there that relates to any person in any area of life. Other social media, my Facebook is, you can just search my name, Dre Baldwin, or Facebook slash work on your game. My Twitter is Dre all day. Instagram is Dre Baldwin. And if you don't remember anything I just said, just Google me, Dre Baldwin, and you'll find all of that stuff right on the first page. Well, luckily for every podcast that I do, there's a show notes page. So I will make sure that I link up everything. Uh, I'm going to put links to all these books in there as as well. And Dre, I want to thank you for, for taking the time to chat with me, man. And it's been a pleasure getting to know you over, over these last couple months, man. And I really appreciate you doing this. Yeah, Nick, really thanks for having me. I appreciate having this conversation. You asked me some questions that I don't normally get asked, which I like. Oh, that's good. That's good. I try to keep you on your toes, man. Exactly. All right. Thanks again, man, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. 
All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. Yep. See you. All right. There you have it, Dre, all day, Baldwin. For everything that we talked about in this podcast, you can find all the resources and the links at drummersresource.com forward slash session one, two, zero. And if you're interested in the coaching that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, if you want to take your skills to the next level, if you want to take your business to the next level, you want to take your life to the next level, get at me at coaching at drummersresource.com. We'll do a quick 15, 20-minute call to see if we're right to work with each other, and uh, we'll get cracking on your goals. So if you're interested, coaching at drummersresource.com. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you have a great day, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. (laughs) 